Welcome to the Microbials Matter podcast, where microbials matter. We welcome our host, Dr. William Zimmer, veterinarian and founder of BioVet. Dr. Zimmer has dedicated over 30 years to researching and developing products that support digestion and overall health in livestock. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Microbials Matter with Dr. Zimmer. So we're here today to talk a little bit about some more general overall animal health, kind of touching on a few more species. We've been pretty involved talking about our microbiome and specifically dairy cows. But today uh, we're going to dive into, you know, heat stress, hydration. It's clearly key, right? Like, the lack of water or dehydration is going to be one of the most critical things, especially this time of year. You know, to start, walk me through a little bit or let's talk about what what kind of uh, what do animals experience? Like what's kind of that magic temperature zone or humidity level that animals prefer? And at what point do we start to get kind of nervous or need to start worrying about heat stress or dehydration? Well, let's start out by saying every animal is different for what their yeah. preferred temperatures are. I'm a polar bear. Obviously, I don't like it above probably freezing. Right. Um, but if we're looking at livestock animals in general, heat stress can start out as low as the low 70 degree Fahrenheit range. As humidity changes, because humidity is a big part of heat stress as well, mm-hmm. as humidity goes up, that temperature really gets to be more critical. So if I was at, say, 100% humidity, low 70s could create heat stress in a lot of our livestock. If I'm at typical humidities we see here in Wisconsin, the upper Midwest, where we're in that 50, 60% humidity range, not those dog days of summer, but the, the normal right. kind of days, right. uh, you're looking at the low 80s. And if I'm in the, you know, maybe the Southwest where it's more desert climate and I'm down in that 10 to 20% humidity range, I can get to the upper 80s before I start seeing a lot of the heat stress in our typical life, uh, livestock that are out there. But because it's more than just heat, it's also humidity. And that has to do with how animals keep themselves cool. Mm-hmm which we'll touch on here, I'm sure, during this podcast a little bit because I won't let you get by without it. (laughs) And then you also have to consider not only what the temperature is out there, but also radiant heat. Are the Mm. animals outside in the sunshine? Are they light-colored animals or dark-colored animals? So how much heat are they absorbing from the sun? Do they have shade, access to shade, part of the time, none of the time, those types of things as well? Uh, Are they on a lighter-colored background or are they on a dry lot that's really dark dirt that's going to heat up? as the sun beats down on it, kind of like the pavement when we're driving down the road, mm-hmm. those types of things. So you, you have a lot of different aspects to it rather than just air temperature that we have to consider. Yeah. And I mean, you, you know, you forget that something as simple as, as hide color can make such a huge difference on Absolutely. how quickly they can experience stress. And, and I think the epitome of that is probably the Holstein cow because mm-hmm. that breed has cows that are almost all white. Two cows that are almost all black. You know, as as it warms up outside, as as the humidity increases, what do you notice are kind of those telltale signs we start to see for heat stress? And and really, in your experience, how quickly, again, this is a two-parter, I do that a lot, how quickly can that heat stress really take hold um, once we start seeing visible signs? Again, the, the signs of heat stress in animals are individual to the animal, so... We've been talking mainly about dairy cattle, so we'll Mm -hmm. start there. Some of the first signs you'll see are panting and drooling. Animals that are uncomfortable when they're warm will want to pant because that's how these particular animals are going to expel some of that heat. If I'm a horse, it's going to be sweating. Mm -hmm. This is how we keep cool. And so you'll see those things. 
Uh, in the case of the cow with the drooling, because she's so busy panting and she's always producing saliva and bicarbonate, that's going to help buffer out her rumen. If she's panting, she can't really swallow like she's supposed to, and that's where the drool comes from. But that is actually for dairy producers a really noticeable thing that they should mm-hmm. pay particular attention to because that saliva is one of the important buffers for that rumen. In one of our previous episodes, we talked about acidosis and how heat stress can affect acidosis in in the rumen, and this is one of the reasons why, because they're drooling, they're not swallowing that saliva, that bicarbonate that's in that saliva, and so we're more prone to acidosis as well. Watch the family dog. If it's panting, it's hot. Right, Um, yes. For you and I, obviously, we're sweating. Within livestock, again, you'll start to see other things with them after the the drooling and the uh, panting part of it. You'll start to see more sporadic feed intake. In dairy Mm -hmm. cattle in particular, they'll not eat during the hot hours of the day, but they tend to eat more during the cooler hours of the evening. So we need to change our management around accordingly to make sure that we're feeding them that way. That also predisposes us back to acidosis because now we're not getting our meals spread out evenly, and so we Mm. tend to slug feed a little bit. So we we can have some interactions there. Get a lot Um, of starch at once, yeah. Right. They'll start to bunch up wherever they're comfortable. So if Mm -hmm. you have a tie stall barn or something of that sort or a free stall, if there's areas where there is a breeze blowing through, where the fans work better, you'll start to see cattle congregate there, whereas otherwise they may be spread out and comfortable and lying in their stalls. So you you can, you know, pick up on some of the little subtle behavior things that they have. If they're Mm -hmm. out on pasture, they're all crowded underneath the tree. So, you know, kind of back to the second half of my question, it's a scary thought when, especially in dairy cattle, because that's what we're most familiar with, not only are they now panting, but as you said, just by not swallowing saliva, I mean, you're losing fluids through the loss of saliva as well. And now we're, we're really getting some some initial disruption in that, that microbiome and, and that digestive process. And, you know, how quickly can that just take a turn for the worse? Um, I, I, in, again, independent the, of each animal, obviously. Right. Each animal is going to be independently, you know, more so than others. But you also have to look at the severity of the heat stress. And so the animals that go through the swings, you can really start to see these changes in, in usually about a day or two days after the onset of it, you'll start to notice these things. And every progressive time that it occurs, it'll get a little bit more severe or a little bit you know, more rapid in the onset, where as soon as the heat stress comes, they're starting to pant because they're basically debilitated from the time before that. Right, it takes them yeah. a while to catch up again. And the way I usually try to liken that is, you know, I spent a lot of years as an athlete. I'm a little bit older now, so I'm not quite as (laughs) intensive an athlete as I used to be. But to go out and work all day long in this kind of weather was never a problem when I was younger. The second day, a little bit more difficult. Right. By the third and fourth day, you're just not feeling all that Mm. well because your fluids are diminished in your body. Your electrolytes are now messed up. Um, There's a whole bunch of things that go on and your body tries to compensate that. Animals are the same way. Mm Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we found in dairy cattle, when the heat stress does hit them, yes, they'll drop their dry matter intake. Usually they'll increase their water intake as long as we as managers make sure they have access to water. So that's right. one of the really Key. critical things when we get to my elevator thing Key. at the end yes. that we'll talk yes. about. Um, we'll go back to that point as well. But the, the hormones in that cow, after going through that kind of heat stress, and the key word here is stress, she actually does have a stress response. And so her milk mm-hmm. production, if she's a lactating cow, will generally drop more than would be predicted by just the drop in dry matter intake that we see by two or threefold. It would be pretty dramatic. And a lot of that has to do with that stress response of that animal. Well, I mean, if you think about it, eating creates heat, right? And eating so does create heat. Even the microbiome that's present that's doing all the digesting of the feed in the cow in particular, a lot of heat is given off from yeah. that fermentation process that's there. 
it, it does create that kind of heat that's there. So there is that, we call that heat of metabolism in a lot of mm-hmm. cases, just yep. exercise, you know, those types of things. So those things happen. So they will become more lethargic. They tend to, like you and I, or at least me, I shouldn't say, <laughs> uh, no, shouldn't speak I, you, for you, you but can, for me, you when can, it gets hot, I kind of melt and I just kind of want to take it easy. Yeah, you can and let me into that. Cows That's are kind fair. of that way as well. You know, they'll, they'll yeah. become a little bit more, you know, they'll want to lay more if they can, but a lot of times they stand just because laying on the ground. It's hot. It's hot. Um, so they'll stand, but they, they won't. They won't move around as much. They won't exhibit a lot of things that we want to see. Let's say we're looking for heat detections. Those may diminish because they're just not that active. They may not want to go to the feed bunk. It's too long a walk. Yeah. They may not want to go to the water trough. It's too long a walk. Those types of things. They'll, they'll become a little bit more lethargic that way. And really, if it gets too severe and you start seeing these animals becoming depressed, that's when you really, really have to worry. But hopefully we catch this and we'll talk about some things of finding that before we get to that point. Right. I mean, you know, as we as we talk about kind of that panting and, and the drooling, like in your, you know, in your experience, how often when, when these temperatures start to spike or this humidity starts to spike, do we need to be out walking these free stalls, walking these pastures? And I mean, this is, this is something that covers not only all species but all all ages right we got to be keeping an eye on calves too oh absolutely calves um especially with calves let's let's if we're going to talk about cattle in particular because they have a large rumen fermentation mm-hmm. vat there that's generally like a you know 50 gallon drum full of water and other stuff they have a pretty large reservoir there sure um, yeah so they do have a little bit more resilience to some of the dehydration that goes on calves don't have that no. We're feeding calves a liquid diet, yes, but it's just usually enough to keep them going from that standpoint. So and all of a sudden, let's say the heat stress is around, and they also happen to get about a diarrhea. Oof. I've seen calves with diarrhea during heat stress that in 12 hours can become very severely dehydrated. So it can yeah. be a very rapid onset for our younger animals versus our adults. How often we observe the animals. For calves, we're generally feeding them twice a day. We have pretty close contact with them, mm-hmm. maybe three times a day. During the summer heat stress, I'd like to see another feeding of water go into those calves in between our normal milk feedings. It's another opportunity to observe those animals. And really the first thing you're going to look for in that situation is going to probably be, are they lethargic? Yeah. You know, do they get Mm -hmm. up and greet you? Because usually when a calf expects somebody to come around, they're expecting maybe there's some feed and they're up and Mm -hmm. they're they're ready to go. They're still laying back there in the back of the hutch. You're not really coming up. They're not aggressive like they're supposed to be. You may want to look and see whether that animal is starting to become dehydrated. When you look at those young animals, you'll start to see as that progression goes on. After the lethargy, you'll start to see sunken eyes. If you pinch their skin, it tents up. It takes rather one or two seconds. It'll take four, five, six seconds before it goes down. Those are all measures that we can kind of guide how dehydrated the animals are. If they become depressed where they don't even want to get up, they're really severely dehydrated. We we had some some sick animals at that point. And the adult cows... In adult animals in general, again, lethargy is one of the things, but you'll notice panting and other behaviors with them. I like to see those animals observed at least once a day. A lot mm-hmm. of farms, you know, that, that's really not what they do because we're treating them as a group. But at least once a day and once a day in all the different environments they're going to be in. So if you have a free say, stall, yeah. observe them in the free stall. Are they using the stalls or are they not using the stalls? If they're standing in you know, a waiting area to get into the parlor, um, that's usually one of the big culprits for heat mm-hmm. stress on animals because they're bunched together and a lot of places don't have the best ventilation there. So we oh, really want to observe yeah. them there, make sure they have water access there as well. And then if they are outside, what are they doing outside? Are they comfortable or are they all crowded underneath the only tree in the you know in the pasture? Kind in of the thing? vicinity, yeah. So- <laughs> uh, we've all seen it. We've all seen it when we drove down the road. You know, you make a good point. Like 
You know, I think about you know, observing them in a parlor or while you're milking maybe isn't enough because sometimes those are cooler environments or there's more fans going in those those areas versus being out on the pasture or being in the freestall or like you said, holding pens are are very difficult to kind of manage um, from a heat and, standpoint. And walk those environments yourself as a manager. If you're not comfortable, the cow is not comfortable. Yeah. That's kind of the, the basic thing to really go on. In the short term, you know, they're going to drop milk production. They're going to drop feed um, intake. But, you know, what what are we looking at for maybe a long-term diagnosis? So let's say, you know, she gets hit or our animal gets hit a couple different times uh, close together with, with some heat stress. What kind of long-term effects are we looking at, well, if any? In the dairy world, two of the major things you'll notice. Number one, you may see some additional foot problems about three months later. And again, that gets back acidosis. to some of that acidosis thing that may occur during that period of time. The other one that you'll probably notice before then, because you're better, you know, we're much better at keeping these kind of records, are your reproduction levels will drop. Oh, yeah. Um, because reproduction is such an important part of the dairy world and getting cows pregnant to get more milk the next time around, heat stress rolls around, pregnancies drop, um, reproduction starts to fail a little bit. So you'll notice that probably really quick, probably within 30 days when you do your next herd check. You'll say, oh, hey, these cows were not mm-hmm. bred. What's going on? So. Yeah, your pregnancy rate kind Those of takes a hit. Those are just a couple a of things to really look at long term that, that we see the most economic response from. So, you know, kind of going back to, we've touched on this a little bit, um, and we kind of, it's kind of a little reoccurring theme, especially since we just came off of acidosis. But, you know, that microbiome, how, how can we use the microbiome maybe to our advantage or support the microbiome, I should say, to kind of, help play a role in keeping animals hydrated obviously this is this is um related to ruminant animals um and to help maybe kind of negate some of that heat stress if possible i would actually flip that around a little bit and say how does heat stress affect the microbiome okay yeah it it is more of a negative effect on them as well again the microbiome would like a a steady diet of feed coming in cows offer that pretty steady feed intake if we interrupt that because of heat stress the microbiome is going to suffer as well Mm-hmm. Um, the microbiome in the rumen in particular, we'd really like the consistency of that rumen to be like soup. That's the fermentation media that they would prefer from a consistency standpoint. If we don't have enough water intake and that turns from soup to stew, nutrients don't flow as well, we start to see some interactions from that standpoint. The stress-related issues that cows start secreting certain hormones to will affect their immune response, which then affects their interaction with the microbiome. So there can, for all the negative things we talk about for animals from heat stress, the microbiome can suffer that as well. And really our goal in that situation is to try to keep the microbiome as healthy as possible so that we don't run into other problems with an upset microbiome. And acidosis is one minor part of that, but then we yep. can also get a lot of the other aspects that that microbiome is very important for protecting that animal from because now all of a sudden it's under a stress as well. And now I create another stress on the cow because the microbiome's not. And now we're just into a a, a downward cycle here. Yeah, kind of like ketosis, we call this the toilet bowl type of disease. Yeah, it just spirals and gets worse and worse and worse. Just it's (laughs) your the susceptibility just keeps opening up and opening up as we. These things are all interrelated, and so not that improving the microbiome is necessarily going to improve the hydration status of that animal or make it more resilient to heat stress. But I think it's another stressor that we can deal with by keeping that microbiome as healthy as possible through mm-hmm. how we feed, maybe supplementing with yeast cultures and other microbial products that can keep that one less stress on that cow. 
And then when we deal with the cow itself through hydration and the electrolytes and things like that, which we'll cover here in just a little bit. Yeah, you kind of nailed it on the head there. It's, it's you know, if she's going to stress in the heat, she's going to stress in the heat. And there's, you know, some actions we can start to take. But gosh, you know, number one is less less stressors we can put on her at once is always is always advantageous, right? So she can start to bounce back a little bit. You know, something that I think, again, I think people are educated on some level about this, but I, you know, I want, want to talk through it a little more is, you know, when we talk hydration, it's more than water. You know, we can put water in front of them. We have to put clean, fresh water in front of them. But, you know, there's there's more to that. It's it's there's a delicate balance in there um, when you get into the electrolyte scenario and and more than that. So, you know, kind of walk us through what that picture kind of looks like beyond just H2O. So the most important nutrient there obviously is the water. But within the animal system, water doesn't just stand by itself. It always moves with electrolytes. Mm-hmm. So we're specifically talking about sodium and potassium, chloride, those types of mineral salts that are highly soluble, bicarbonate to a lesser extent. And those electrolytes control the water balance in the bloodstream, within the cells themselves, between the cells. And so if we don't have those electrolytes present with the water, then the water is A, not as effective at hydrating the animal, and mm-hmm. B, it can actually become disproportionate in different areas. So we really want to make sure that we monitor those, those electrolyte salt minerals in particular and make sure that we're supplementing those into the ration. Uh, we use the example of the drooling cow. Mm-hmm. And the bicarbonate portion that's lost there, that acidosis effect, bicarbonate by itself doesn't exist in the saliva. It has sodium there as a, as a different type of ion to balance out the charge, and so we're losing sodium as well in that. So electrolytes can become imbalanced relatively quickly, in animals like horses or people that sweat, electrolyte salt is, is going to be lost through that sweat. There's a huge amount of sodium and, to a lesser extent, potassium in sweat. And oh, yeah. so, you know, it, again, back to my athlete days, <laughs> you could drink water for so long, and at some point in time, you knew you needed to have electrolytes. That's where the whole, I don't want to mention any of these sports drinks' names by name, but right. that's where the whole sports drink industry came from, was by replacing these electrolyte salts along with the water the athletes did much better because we were able to hydrate effectively. Right. Yeah. Cause you still need, you still need those, you still need the sodium, you still need the potassium muscle function. Absolutely. And if you don't have those, especially in the animals, not so much in the cows, but let's take horses, for example, when they sweat to a certain point, they'll start to tie up. Yeah. They'll cramp, they'll tie up. That's an electrolyte imbalance in a lot of cases. So that that's kind of a similar thing with cows. They don't really run as much, but there may be some other things that go on from a muscular standpoint that, we're not quite, pick, you know, keying in on and picking up that can affect their bodies as well. Do these electrolyte imbalances? I mean, this is a little off topic, but in horses, is do you think colic is more more prevalent if they start to dehydrate? I think it may be a little bit more prevalent. Yeah, um, some of that has to do with horses become dehydrated and then they take in a huge amount of water, which kind of upsets their system a little yeah. bit more too. They're they're a little bit more finicky when it comes to some of those swings. Again, they don't have that rumen at the beginning of the digestive tract to help buffer that out. Right, they don't. No. So they're a little bit more prone to some of those things. Um, a lot of people, they, they do see that summertime colic can be can be related to that. And it's just, again, another stressor on their bodies. And again, same same kind of downward or, or uh, negative cycle that they get they More, get more so the, the cramping and the tying yeah. up in performance horses. I mean, they're just their overall performance is the first thing that people notice that they, they drop off if and they're out for endurance rides and stuff like pretty that. Pretty quickly. They just don't have the endurance. Yeah, pretty quickly from the sounds of it. So, 
we've talked a little bit about uh, electrolytes. We've talked about the water. We've talked about, you know, identifying heat stress. So, you know, I always like to kind of start to tie the story into BioVet. So how does BioVet help negate a little bit of this heat stress and what forms can we do that? Because you mentioned supplementing uh, the ration, but if they're eating less ration, you know, what does that picture look like? Or can we add things to water? You know, what kind of stuff is out there? What do you see that can help with the hydration heat stress story? So some of the things that BioVet offers, um, we talked about the microbiome a little bit earlier and we mentioned microbials. Yeah. Keeping that microbiome healthy through the use of good direct fed microbials is one aspect that we can use. The same microbials and yeast culture included in that to help with dry matter intake can mm-hmm. be important. We're, we're talking about a situation with heat stressed animals where they want to take in fewer meals. Sometimes they become full and they don't want to eat. So we really want to try to do as much as we can to make sure that we maximize what intake we can get into them through those kind of technologies. And then we talked about the electrolyte side of it. And so BioVet does manufacture a number of different electrolytes for different animals, from horses to cattle to cows, all over the, you know, the whole spectrum there. Mm-hmm. And really our, our goal there, again, is maximize that hydration through these cows and through these calves and through these horses by making sure we have the proper electrolyte balance for each animal for their situation there. And you do need to keep in mind as animal producers that a horse's electrolyte demands are different than a cow's. Oh, for sure. And are different than a calf's. Yeah. So in adult horses and adult cows, a lot of that is due to fluid loss due to trying to keep cool. Mm-hmm. If we look at calves, a lot of times we'll see that severe de- dehydration when it's heat stress along with diarrhea. And then those calves are dumping out different electrolytes through their intestinal tract, so we need to have a different balance. for them. But that. That's kind of where you want to get to with these animals. Anything you can do to support their appetite so things that BioVet produces, management things. We know they're going to want to eat during the cooler hours mm-hmm. of the day, so maybe changing our feeding schedules around to focus on that. Historically, if we're a daytime manager, maybe we have to become a nighttime manager. Yeah. Those types of things. We may want to change things around a little bit in order to make sure that we're getting that maximum dry matter intake in there. Mm-hmm. Water availability, in my opinion, is probably the biggest factor that's out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, having enough waterers for all the cattle to be at having them placed so they don't have to walk to them. Because mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but when I'm not feeling good, for me to get up and walk 100 yards to the water trough, I'm probably not going to do it if I'm a it's, cow. Yeah. Unless I'm really, really dehydrated. Well, I don't want her to become that really, really dehydrated. I want to make sure he has, she has that access all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm making sure the water that's provided is clean, especially during the summer months. Heat goes up, algae growth goes up in this oh, water. Oh, sure does. There, there aren't a lot of them left anymore, but there still are some tie stall stanchion barns out there and yep. have water cups. Sure do. It's yep. almost impossible for a cow to get enough water out of a water cup if it's packed full of hay underneath. <laughs> she just can't sip that it, much. It is anyway, because, you know, so, those water lines are only so big, and right. they seem to really consume a lot of water after milking. So th- those are really some of the keys, is making sure that water is there and available, uh, clean, uh, all the time, easily accessed, and that's the big step. And then to go through and do whatever we need to do from a management standpoint, cooling fans, any of those shaders, any of that misters, all that stuff is great to do. Mm-hmm. And there's things that we can do, but then let's also look at what's going on with water. Let's go look at what's going on with the ration, making sure that we affect what's going on with the metabolic process within that cow through the electrolytes. That's really what you got to get to. And if you want to get the best 
ability to manage heat stress is to be able to go after all of them. But I mean, th- this isn't on there. This isn't part of our, you know, discussion today. But, you know, it, it begs the question a little bit um, going off script here. Cold stress. That's something we see a little bit, too, in the Midwest. If, if animals are outside later in the year or, you know, we get a couple of cold days and, and they're not uh, they're not inside free stalls full time. I mean, it's it's a lot of the same, isn't it? Even in a cold stress scenario, we're it, still it looking at the same thing. It can be in a cold things. stress situation as well. Animals, especially animals that have hair coats on them, are actually much better equipped to handle cold. If they can sure. get out of the yeah. wind, then they can handle heat. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we do have in common with cold stress here in the upper Midwest is lack of water. Now in the winter months, especially in our young calves, even some of our adult animals, depending on our you know, setups of our facilities and things like that, we can start to see a dramatic drop in water intake because either the water freezes or the water line freezes, and so there's mm-hmm. no water in the trough, those types of things, just because of the temperatures of being too cold. And so dehydration can happen during the winter months because of that, just like heat stress during the summer. I mean, there was something on here that that I did want to ask about is is you know other seasons dehydration really can happen anytime. It if, can happen if anytime. Your water sources is yep. the two major altered. extremes are heat stress during the summer and then cold stress during the winter because of that altered water. Definitely right. So, but I mean, even you know in the fall or anything like that, if you're not again, we're back to that clean, fresh water idea. You have to have it. It's non-negotiable because. The second it's not good water, the cows really, your animals really start there, to turn their nose at it. There's two things to understand about water. Number one, it's the most important nutrient for all animals, period. Yeah, yeah, all together, you and me, and everybody. compared to every other nutrient we put into our dairy animals or any of our livestock, it's the cheapest. You know, just kind of circling the wagons here a little bit, in your recommendation, would you say that that ideally, you know, you want to, you, you got the electrolytes at play here, I assume mixing it in the waterers, and then those direct fed microbials. Let's say we... We do those two things together. What kind of things have you seen on farms when we when we take that proactive approach and and you know make sure that you know we're striving to keep the microbiome going and that we're also striving to keep them hydrated, electrolytes in them. What what kind of things have you seen when we do those? Well, the two that are going to be most economically important for dairymen that I see out there. Um, number one. When you're using a good electrolyte and microbial program in the summer, I've had a number of, of dairy producers that say, yeah, normally our cows have dropped 15 pounds of milk mm. during these heat stress periods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they maybe drop two or three. So, Or the, the one I really love is the guy that comes back and says, yeah, my nutritionist says I'm the only herd that he deals with whose herd hasn't dropped in milk production. And that's because, again, of a good microbial electrolyte program that they have going in there to maintain the hydration so their cows didn't suffer from the heat stress nearly as much. So really from a production standpoint, we're talking about mitigating losses. Right, yep. Rather than 15 pounds of loss, I lose five pounds, for example, or I don't lose any. That's really what we're trying to get to accomplish here with these types of programs during the heat stress. The second thing that I've noticed a lot of people will tell me is when it comes to things that are, again, economic importance is reproduction. Oh, yeah. My cows yeah. continue to Back breed. Back to that. And I know with one of the microbials that we've talked about in the past here, that P9, uh, P169 strain of, of mm-hmm. Propionobacteria. There was actually a study that was done on that during the summer heat stress where they looked at reproduction. Now, it wasn't part of the trial, and so they didn't have enough cows to make it statistically significant, mm-hmm. but numerically it was really dramatic, like about a 15 point percentage point change in oh, wow. pregnancy rates during the summer months. Pregnancy that, rates, no less. When that mar- particular microbial was in there. 
And so it was really mm. interesting to watch that and say, okay, here's the summer heat stress coming along and the control cows, their pregnancy rates just dropped off the table. And the animals that had this P169 going into it, their pregnancy rates continued on where they should be. And were strong. And so wow. that's one you know aspect that we've seen with reproduction. So, I mean, let's say I wanted to get into doing something like that. You know, is it a case where as soon as it gets warm out, you start this? Or is this something that like... You can feed it over the summer months. You can feed it all year long. You know, help paint that picture of, from a management standpoint, what might make the most sense. For me, microbials make sense year-round because there's so many different insults. Summer heat stress, yes. Now we're harvesting new crops during the fall Mm -hmm. and siling processes, all those different things. So microbials, to me, make sense year-round. When you start looking at electrolyte supplements, heat stress during the summer, absolutely. When do you start them? Well, the good news is we do have weather forecasters out there, and even though they're, for you know, they're, for they're as accurate they would be as an all star if they were baseball hitters. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least they're pretty close on telling us when the temperatures are going to go up, mm-hmm. and we can try to get ahead of that by a few days. Would be a really good thing to do. If you wait until a week after the heat stress has hit, you've already gone through one yeah, one battle that you've lost. Too little, too late. And so yeah. you you know you lost that milk production. The next time it comes around, rather than losing that 15 pounds, you put this program in. Now, rather than only losing five pounds, maybe you're going to lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. So start it before the heat stress comes around. Get those animals accustomed to that at least a week ahead of time, I would like to do. You know, a lot of times you can get a two-week forecast or a 10-day forecast. Yep. You kind of know when the temperatures yep. are going to be going up. Start it at that point in time. Continue it probably until a week or 10 days after that heat stress goes away. Because the next question that comes up, well, can my nutritionist do that? And in most cases, yes, your nutritionist can put in additional electrolyte salts. Mm-hmm. But there's other nutrients as well that you want to make sure you address. And that's going to be any water-soluble vitamins, so any of the B vitamins. Oh, yeah. Um, because we're basically, that water cycle is going so much faster. Yep. And we know that we're interfering with the microbiome that produces most of the B vitamins that the cow takes. That's right, yes. Um, when we start getting those interactions, B vitamins become really critical to have in there as well. There are different types of osmolites that can be there, and these are nutrients that aren't really electrolytes, but they help the electrolytes work better, mm-hmm. help the hydration, rehydration of cells work better that typically you wouldn't find in ration-type ingredients that can be put into these electrolyte supplements. So there's a lot of different aspects to some of these electrolyte products that probably make them superior to just putting in more salt or something like right. that. Right. I mean, direction. I mean, I think the big one like you hit on is the B vitamins. You know, yeah, when you stop and think about it, Makes common sense. The water cycle is going faster. You're going to lose more B vitamins. The microbiome it can't keep up. I'd say um, I, I put B vitamins and some of these osmolites on pretty heavy yeah. par with the electrolyte salts themselves. Yeah. So this brings me to my favorite part of our of our podcast. Always is you know the elevator pitch. So hydration, right? We know it's we know it's key. Heat stress can be a cycle um, that once you get in it, it's hard to get out. Um, and can really start to take on some some pretty negative effects pretty fast from everything from babies on up to um, adult animals across a variety of species. What's the take home here? What do people really need to know about keeping livestock hydrated um, and avoiding heat stress um, for the health of their animals? I'm figuring by the time we get to maybe the last podcast, you'll actually dub in elevator music over your elevator I question. should. <laughs> I should. Be like, do do The two things with heat stress that... If we're going to look at, again, that first floor of the elevator, first stop, cooling and water supply. Those are going to be the two major things. Anything you can do to cool your animals down, fans, shade, misters, any of that type of thing, good idea to do. Water supply, making sure that it is fresh, make sure that it's readily available in just a few steps for all these animals. No crowding, Mm -hmm. no having to wait. 
I have a docile animal and there's not enough room at the trough, she's going to go lay down and she's not going to get back up and drink. So she, making yeah. sure that, you know, bunk space is an important part for that, even at the water trough. Those are probably the two first floor, these are, we got to do this mm-hmm. if we want to be successful. The next step would probably be making sure that our management, feeding management in particular, is going to change and adapt to heat stress. Mm-hmm. Your nutritionist is probably going to want to put a little bit more dense ration in there because we know dry matter intake is going to drop. Yeah. Which is something that we want to make sure we're getting the groceries that cow needs to have. Mm-hmm. But then as a producer, when we're feeding, we need to make sure that we're feeding at the time where we can maximize the intake right. of those cows. Nighttime feeding. We feedings. may have to do something as much as changing the way we're mixing because during the summer heat stress, spoilage organisms grow a lot faster in that feed. Oh, yes, they do. And so we may have to mix twice a day rather than once a day, those types of things that we need to change just to keep the feed more palatable. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things we do manage. So that'd be your second floor stop is making sure those other management tools are there as well. Your third floor stop to me is going to be the microbes and trying to do everything we can to sustain dry matter intake, to sustain that microbiome keep it as healthy as possible to reduce that level of stress on the cow when she's going through the heat. And then if I'm going all the way to the top floor, Take it's, us all the way it's going to be the electrolytes, the osmolites, some additional vitamins, those types of things that we're going to spike over the top of just our standard ration in order to make hydration of these cows much more effective. Because even if I put water there, electrolytes and osmolites will help that cow utilize that water much better. And that's really taking it to the top floor. So that would be my elevator Right. But I mean, I think, I think, you know, as we do these elevator pitches every time you'll start to see or hear, I should say that one of the coolest things about BioVet and one of the coolest things about these podcasts, microbials matter, is that it's, it's very holistic. Like you and I, we talk, uh, we talk about the animals, we talk about the management, we talk about, you know, even the financial implications of really bringing the whole story together. And I think that's, that's one of the coolest parts about what we do here is, with our with our little elevator uh, spiels is that, you know, there's something everybody can do regardless of their style, their preference, their financial situation. There's always a place where, you know, not only microbials, but really just what we talk about fits into their system. Yes. And, and I guess the holistic approach for me coming out of veterinary medicine, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the old, old days were, okay, she's got mastitis. What antibiotic am I going to use? There's more to treating mastitis than just choosing an antibiotic. Yeah. What's her body temperature? How am I going to keep that under control? Is she eating? Is she not eating? What other systems in her body are affected? The same thing holds true for heat stress or any of the other topics that we've had here. That holistic approach is critical if you want to manage that animal to get the best response. Don't just rely on one technology to take care of it. That's BioVet. It really is. And any, any technology that we can find out there that holds promise and can do those things is, is something to consider. To learn more about microbials, check out our other podcast episodes or read more at bio-vet.com.